Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Jameson. You're a, you're a uh, what the New Hampshireites call a maniac. Uh, what, which would you rather be attacked by? A Maine black bear or a moose? Oh, well, thought about this. And uh, I think I think I'm going to have to go with the, I think I'd rather be attacked by the moose. Just because uh, I feel like you could get away from a moose a little easier than a bear. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I could get up a tree, maybe, if a moose was coming <laughs> after me. <laughs> That's a good point. You got plenty yeah, of those. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Or I could at least get maybe get behind some trees where, I don't know. I think if a bear really wanted to have me, it would. Yeah. So. But, yeah, it's a good call. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, now, which would be worse to be attacked by if you were to be attacked by a moose? A bull moose or a cow with a calf? Ooh, I think that the mother's fury is tough to beat. Usually the bulls don't bother you too much, and they can be a little ornery when they're in the rut, maybe. But yeah, I wouldn't want to mess with a mama, you know, and her calf. Yeah, I'd say I'd, I'd say the bull. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I honestly had no idea if one was worse than the other. Um, but yeah, the the mother the mother's fury is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like universal throughout nature, including our own species. Um, yeah, no, don't, totally don't mess with mama, right? And uh, yeah. that that's that's a good point. You know, I I grew up, and maybe this is because I grew up in a non-hunting family, uh, but I grew up with the understanding of if you're in moose country, you may as well be in bear country. You know, like you do not take you do not take a wrong step. Is that accurate, or is that just like? Nah, the only reason, the only way you're going to get messed up by a moose is if you're asking for it. Yeah, I mean, I think typically you don't have to worry about moose too much. Like you said, that scenario, maybe if you were, if you keep your distance from, you always see these videos, you know, on you on YouTube or stuff or whatever, funniest videos. People get too close to the moose, and yeah, then, you know, or a snow or a snowmobile and it comes right up on a moose. If you give a moose its room. They're typically gonna leave you alone. It's when people push the envelope. Okay. You, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's that's good to know. If if you're like just out there like fishing and a moose happens to walk up, it's not gonna be like a he's seeing red and right. You're no. he's gonna bury you. No, yeah, you're not. Like, that ain't gonna happen. Yeah, that's nah, that's good to know. That that is good. To, that makes Have me feel a little bit better. Have you ever been charged by one? I've no, I've never been charged by a moose. The, closest i'd say i've ever to have been charged by a moose is me and a buddy we were in college we were up bird hunting and it was first thing in the morning we were just getting out of the pickup and uh we're getting out of the pickup we're putting our coats on and whatever it's a nice cold frosty morning and uh i look up in front of the truck we just pulled off the road into this little turnout and there was a little old trail right there that went up into the woods and i looked up the trail and that was a giant bull moose Stand in the trail, pretty as a picture, like this, just the steam rolling out of his oh, no, nostrils, cool. you know, massive 50 inch rack. And he's just staring us down, like, get 
out of my trail because we <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like hey but i'm like my buddy i'm like hey what what because he didn't he didn't even realize it yet I'm like, right in front of us is a huge move and he looks up and he's like holy crap and but it just kind of it stood there stood his ground for 30 seconds probably and then it just turned and went back up the trail but you know that's probably the, that's probably the closest i've ever Bendable moves, man. That would that would be enough to get my hair standing up. Um, oh, it was yeah. One time, kind of a similar thing. It was during is like the real early uh, phase of the whitetail rut. I was I was pheasant hunting, and uh, with a buddy, and we were walking through these like really t- tall like cane something. I don't even, I don't know what what species it was, um, but you know stuff that's like 12, 14 feet tall i mean just towers over you so you can't and it's thick and i hear this commotion i know where my buddy's at and i know where my dog is at and i'm like that's not them what is going on up here and i like just keep walking and um all of a sudden i'm like 10 feet away from this buck and he is love sick i mean he is just he's like a zombie you know he's just in a trance and at first I was like, oh, wow, I'm really close to this thing. And he is not afraid of me. He does not even care that I'm here right now. But that's okay. I have my I have my 12 gauge here. If he comes at me, I'll just blast him. And then I started thinking to myself, you know, he's kind of a nice buck. If I blast this thing in self-defense, <laughs> who on earth is going to believe me? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to, then I got scared because it was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm going to, it's like what uh, Alex says about in grizzly country. The only way he's shooting a grizzly is if he's got a claw mark on his face. <laughs> he's, 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 he's got to have that proof, that provenance yeah. that, that yes, I was yeah. indeed acting in self-defense. So yeah, that can definitely get a little hairy. Do you guys ever see that? Uh, it's a viral picture it gets circulated every year. Um, usually during shed season because that's when you find stuff like this in the woods. Um, I think it was in Glacier National Park, or or maybe not in the not in Glacier, but close to it because the guy was hunting, and then it was supposedly back in like the twenties when this guy was hunting out there, and he like went missing, and uh, then like years later, somebody comes across this big uh, bone pile. And in this bone pile, you have this giant bull moose and uh, a human skeleton, like right there by it. And the gun is jammed. The rifle is jammed. It has one round spent. And Mm. it has a broken off uh, hunting knife and uh, laying by the guy. You guys ever see that picture? (laughs) No, I feel like I... I feel like I've seen one with a like a brown bear or a grizzly like that, but not a moose. Yeah, the guy, the guy wasn't the guy wasn't using a Remington seven four two, was he? <laughs> I don't think so. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> he wouldn't have had that. He wouldn't have had that problem, huh? No, no we call that the no. That's the we call that the Jam Master. Up oh, okay. Well, maybe he was then. I don't know. I think yeah. it was. It was probably in the era where most guys still had um bold actions when they were hunting you know it's probably like a 30 out six would be my guess mm-hmm. 30 out six bolt probably probably a springfield 
you know, like one of the original 30 yachts because it was yeah. it was from the 20s. But I, if I can find the picture, I'll send it to you guys after we're done talking here. It's uh it's a pretty wild image. But yeah. you know, it is a good reminder there's some dangerous things out there, but it doesn't keep us from going into the woods. Um and uh Jameson is a guy who is uh from the little that I know him, I, I, we're getting to know each other through this podcast really. Um but just from the brief uh, interactions that we've had uh, before this interview, uh, you do all kinds of hunting out there in Maine, and uh, you're wearing a Kafaru shirt right now, which automatically means you're into the hardcore side of of hunting. You know, putting a lot of miles on, uh, doing things uh, the hard way, but the right way probably would be a good way to say it. And uh, you know, you know Brad Willie. And, uh, mm-hmm. I know the kind of guy that Brad Willie is. I know Brad well, uh, tough as nails. And so, uh, you're, you must be in good company if you're hanging out with Brad. Yeah. Yeah. Brad's a great guy. I've met, met Brad at a few shows. Um, he's obviously, he's a big Woods Bucks team member. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm actually going to be guiding up there for big Woods Bucks outfitters this year. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to be one of their, uh, deer guides up there for the, uh, First two weeks of November this year. Okay. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I got a couple one-on-ones. We're going out and uh, hopefully going to teach them how to track whitetail up in the big woods of Maine here. And if there's snow and if there's no snow, we'll we'll still hunt. That's usually what we I do. That's what I do if there's no snow. I, I don't sit at all, really. I am just get out there and get after it and put yeah. miles on and... Yeah, that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of a thing for you New England guys. You you uh you're too high energy to be able to just sit there in a tree stand. That's what Brad yeah. says. He's like, "Man, I have all the respect <laughs> in the world for you guys that sit in tree stands. I could not do it for more than 10 minutes." <laughs> yeah. I pers- yeah, I personally can't do it. My brother's the complete opposite. He hunts t- he's a but he's the kind of guy that'll he'll he'll sit all day long in a tree stand and I don't know how he does it. We're just yeah. we have comp- we both are crazy about hunting, but we have completely different styles. It's pretty funny. So, so that's, yeah. you know, the, the other reason behind that really is just, I mean, prevalence of, of, uh, targets, right. And in, uh, New England, there's just, I mean, you're hunting these vast, vast, uh, well, they're probably a mix of state forests, national forests, and then don't they call them, uh, paper what do they call it paper land or yeah, paper yeah, forest yeah it's it's usually it's large uh large landowners they're investors that own the land and yeah they have logging companies come in and they sell the timber off and so yeah we have a little bit of state land not a lot in maine and a little bit of federal too uh, a lot of our federal land is you can't hunt like I don't know, you probably you probably heard of Acadia and stuff like that. Oh yeah, national, yeah, national, national park. park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's another new national park. They're supposed to be going in up near Baxter, which which is the largest state park in Maine. You can't hunt any of that either. Mm. But mm. Uh, yeah, most of our most of our land in Maine is all private, privately owned. But it's kind of like our public because you you can hunt it. Anyone can hunt it without. It's just open land to hunt. Mm-hmm. Almost yeah, most of the entire northern half of Maine is land just like that it's all it's all large landowners so it's privately owned but you can hunt it just like it's public yeah mm. it, 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 it's interesting yeah. yeah it's a lot different it's a lot different than most places especially out west completely different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah is is it a uh 
right to trespass state as well or whatever the term is yep. for that where if it's unposted you're allowed to hunt it correct correct yeah as long as long as it's not um posted by a sign or you can paint too you can do the purple mm. paint they have a purple paint law in maine or if you do a purple stripe on a tree you can't <clears throat> that signifies that it's posted but yeah. if not if there's no signage or paint you're legally allowed to tres- trespass you're not considered yeah, trespassing that's cool. Yeah. Um, Alex, can you explain how North Dakota had that, but they just added that wrinkle with the online posting and yeah. can you kind of explain that? Yeah. So there it's, it's essentially online mapping, right? So you'd have to go to an online resource and then landowners can document on there if they allow trespassing or not. So, um, it adds like one extra layer where like, you know, if you're, if you're driving by the property and you don't see a trespass sign, you would assume it's okay. Um, but if you don't check online, if they legally have a documented online, then you're still trespassing. So it adds like an extra, extra layer to it. But at the same point, uh, I would, I would venture to bet that the online resource might be the best one. Cause if you go online, you might be able to see everything as it's documented that way. But uh, it's interesting, you know, in, in Maine seeing that, that's, that's cool because it's, it's exactly the opposite of going out West to your point, you know, everybody wants to buy a piece of property and then have it and kind of stop access. And, you know, we're seeing that with all kinds of different legality points, right? The corner crossing deal and, mm-hmm. you know, companies buying easements or, or, uh, like Rocky mountain elk foundation, you know, getting donations and trying to buy stuff to legalize access. Mm-hmm. So. It's it's interesting to see what every state does in that in that wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you um, if you uh, fellow maniacs listening in here, and really Vermont and New Hampshire, I believe it's the same same deal. Um, if that ever gets talked about, which I bet it will, um, you know, it's just it's how it is. Once one state makes a change like that it just seems to start like look at what's gone on with trail cameras you know that i when we remember when arizona first talked about that trail cam ban we were all like what Mm -hmm. that will never i mean and (laughs) now they're one of several states that have either some kind of limitation on trail cameras or an outright ban you know and and uh so yeah if you guys out there in new england hear any any uh mutterings of going to that online posting um you need to be talking to your uh your representatives immediately because um i think it's a cool it's a cool wrinkle that you guys have i think it would be much harder to add that wrinkle to a state that isn't used to it so, like, if all of a sudden, if Iowa went to that, which is where I live, um, I don't know how that would go. You know, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure if that would be a good thing or not. But if Iowa always had it and people were used to hunting that way and used to, you know, working with that program, I think it would be a good thing to have, if that makes sense. Like retroactively to get your hunters used to that, I think would be a tough sell. But once you have it, I think it's a good thing. It's kind of like right to track uh, in Iowa. If you mm-hmm. shoot anything, uh, deer, a deer, a turkey, a pheasant, a 
a, a dove even if it flies over the fence line you're allowed to leave your weapon behind on the property you have permission on and then cross that fence line and go retrieve your your game in fact you're required by law to make every effort to retrieve that that game and uh, i think that's an awesome thing um, and uh, the last guy i had on the podcast nate olson from illinois um, just lost a buck this last season because uh, the neighbor claimed it for himself after ran and died on his side of the fence line and uh, absolutely refused to give it. It won't even send pictures of the deer that he, the buck that he shot. Yeah. And, and Illinois used to be a right to track state, but they lost it. And Alex, wasn't there something with uh, when North Dakota went to that online posting? I think, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say a number here, but I will just because I'm okay with shoving my foot in my mouth a little bit. I want to say that it was like the number of posted properties increased by like 90% or something like that. I want to say, does that sound right to you? I, I don't know the the actual stat, but I do know it increased. I, I think it's the ease of the ability to do it, you know? Right, exactly. It, yeah. So, think, yeah. So I was gonna say, I was gonna say, I think if Maine ever went to that system where you could do that online, I think for the convenience and ease of it, I think a lot more land would get would get posted. I think right now yeah. people are like, oh, I don't want to go around putting up signs and yeah, do because you have to right. do you have to do your entire perimeter. You can't just do. I mean, you can just do the roadside, and that works for there. But if someone goes around and comes in from the other side, say, oh, I didn't yeah. know it was posted. I didn't see a sign. Right. And, because yeah. you have to do your entire perimeter. So I think people are just like, oh, I, I'm not going to bother posting it. I don't care that much. Right, exactly. So, Which but works you just the, go online. You know, if, for the most part, as long as everyone's behaving themselves, that works well in the favor of hunters. But, you know, if that if that goes away, that's a major impact on how uh, you guys hunt. And so, yeah, I think it's something that, that everyone should uh, be fighting for. Uh, if you have it, keep it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you, you really enjoy deer hunting. We're going to talk moose hunting is going to be the main topic tonight, but can you, uh, just like give us an idea of how long you've been, um, deer hunting there in Maine and, um, you know, kind of your role as a guide and, and what your, uh, you know, what your fall typically looks like for deer hunting. Yeah. Um, so I started deer hunting as soon as I could, which in Maine was 10 years old and, uh, so you weren't, you're supposed to stay with an adult until you're 16 in Maine. Uh, I, but I never, my father never really followed that law. So I kind of got, shoved out. <laughs> I got, shoved, I got shoved out the door when I was just, you know, a little fella. He got me, he got me my first deer rifle when I was 11. It was a wow. Browning, Browning BLR 308 and I still have it. And that's uh, awesome. Yeah. I shot my first doe with it when I was 11. I was actually out still hunting by myself and, got her and ran back to the house and I told him I got a deer and we went out and got it. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Me. Yeah. But I uh, know. So I, I'm 37 now. So I've been hunting in Maine for yeah, 27 years or whatever. And wow. uh, yeah, I started out, I grew up in Southern Maine. It's a little different from the big, the whole big woods and all that tracking mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I didn't really start tracking deer till like, Oh, probably six, seven years ago. I always hunted, 
down around the farm. I grew up on a horse farm and my father owned 80 acres and he's been adding to that now. I think he, he owns up like 200 now or something like that. Oh, very nice. But I always hunted, I always hunted just the family land and there was a few other places right in town that I used to is, hunt. Is that how your brother got into tree stand hunting? Yep. Yeah, we used to hunt the same stands, you know. He'd kind of stand one day, I'd go hunt the stand the next day, and we hunted like that for years. Shot a lot of deer like that. Some decent deer, but yeah, yeah and then but I got wanderlust eventually and I got my license and I read uh oh, I read uh Larry Benoit's book, How to Bag the Biggest Buck of Your Life. Yep. Yeah. That, and then that I book's Hal, been mentioned on here a few times. And then I read Hal Blood's book. And I was like, I got to go try this big wood stuff. It seems like it would fit because even down here, I would never hold still. I was always still hunting. I was always <laughs> exploring, but there wasn't enough woods to explore. So I ran out of woods and I was like, I got to go. I got to go up and do that big wood stuff. I got to try that. Yeah. And from the day one, I was like, oh, my word, this is just so much fun. And once I tracked my first few deer, I was completely hooked on tracking. And now it's like the only way I even want to hunt. So sure. Uh, yeah, and I've been really successful the past few years doing it. Um, well, that's helped too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So then that just naturally led you to guiding. How? Yeah, I've, then for yeah, I've always thought about oh, you know, a main guide. That's like a illustrious. Everyone always oh, main guide, a main guide. And it's something I'd been thinking about for a long time. And then I was like, well, I'm not getting any younger. I was like, I just got to go do this. And so I think it was. Uh, Last, a year and a half ago, I went and took the course and did, did the test and got my license. And then I got hooked up with Big Woods and uh, they told me they'd give me a job, try me this year. So, yeah, yeah. I'm excited, excited Sweet. to go do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, are you busy now every hunting season? Like, uh, is it hard to find time to just hunt on your own? Um, well, I work with. I work for a family logging business and uh, so we're all self-employed and we usually take, we usually take quite a few weeks, you know, a few weeks off in November every year just for deer hunting. My whole family, my whole family's diehard deer hunters grew up that way. So we all take time. We all take time off and hunt. So I'm just going to have a little less time this year because I'm going to be working. I'm going to be deer hunting, but for somebody else. With someone else. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But Hey, What's your closest call logging? Wait, I asked a guy who does uh, a lot a lot of uh, whitetail property management in uh, mm-hmm. New York, yep. upstate New York, and uh, he had a pretty crazy story. Uh, logging is just a dangerous, dangerous oh, yeah. business. What's your uh, closest call? Oh, geez. Well, we're all mechan- mechanicalized now, so it's you know it's safer. I started out when I was in my early twenties. I was felling trees with a chainsaw and just a small skitter and mm-hmm. oh my closest call there i tore well i guess i didn't get it fully diagnosed or severely sprained or tore my uh, acl when i first Ooh. got going when i first got going i was living up a tree and topped it and the, the tree had fallen down between a bunch of other trees and it hadn't had a bend in it and when i topped the tree it let loose and took me right in the mm. knee oh but, that's probably that was that the worst awful. thing. I took a lot of limbs to the face and stuff like that, but never anything too too bad as far as that. That's Just that bad that that knee injury took me out for an entire summer. But you know, yeah. other than that, I've heard of some really nasty ones from other people. But I've been 
I've been pretty fortunate. That that's good. Nothing that's too bad. Not- Knock on wood. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, literally. Yeah, the, that's 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 good, man. I'm glad. Uh, I mean, that's still pretty. I, I had a torn ACL once, and Alex has had a torn Achilles. Those uh, those types of injuries, they they like you said, they take you out for a long yeah. period. There's just nothing you can do. You know, when I tore my ACL, I was amazed at how grounded you become, you know, so to speak, like you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, yeah, I can't do anything. Like there's, yeah. n- there's nothing right. I can do. I remember we had, uh, so I was still in high school. I tore it during a uh, football practice in high school. And so we had, we would have like team dinners on the, on, uh, on like the weekends and stuff like that. And we went to this uh, buffet and I got there and I'm like, <laughs> how is this going to work? I'm on crutches. You know, I like, I can't, I can't walk at all. Like I can't like carry a plate around, you know? And it just like makes you realize how, how much you take for granted with your health, you know? And then, (laughs) and now I'm always worried about, and of course, unfortunately this is the case for Alex. Uh, Oh, I hope I don't get hurt before hunting season because then I won't be able to go, you know, do this, this, and this. And, and uh, unfortunately, that happened for Alex last year, and it really messed up his plans. But uh, thankfully, you got that bear hunt in first, Alex, and didn't have to. Uh, you didn't have to ride yep. on Edwin's shoulders back out of the mountain. But might no, have been might have been your death march up that mountain that <laughs> started weakening your Achilles, though prepping uh, it to be torn. No. But I but, don't know. But um, no, that's that's good, man. I love that you're a logger, a good blue collar guy. I uh, I work in uh, the Iowa forest uh, world here. We call it prairie. Um, it's just uh, really tall grass. And that's what I so I I grow uh, tall grass and flower species, and uh, definitely a blue collar guy as well. And and uh, I think those things go hand in hand with hunting. You see any? You ever see anything like really cool like? wildlife wise while you're out there uh uh doing your logging work oh yeah lots of deer tons of deer especially in the winter time we see a lot of deer um coyotes a lot one year mm-hmm. i know one year we were on a job and there was this three-legged <laughs> i should have carried a rifle and got the bugger <laughs> it was just i kind of felt bad for him in a way there was this three-legged coyote he hung around our job site all the time but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was looking for looking yeah. for some for an easier meal probably yeah yeah but no no lots of deer i mean i mean i think at times we've been cutting in the winter where you could count 40 50 deer right off the skitter wow oh nice that's cool. just in there feeding on the top so if you get in a certain area where they like you know they like to winter up and you're cutting that's gonna that help area. that's gonna help you with hunting a little bit doesn't it does that like kind of teach you a few things it does a little bit. I mean, where I like to hunt now, we cut mostly in central southern Maine. So it's not okay. It's a a different area where I hunt, but it teaches you about all the tree species and mm-hmm. stuff they like to feed on year, you know, different times of year. And so that helps knowing all your trees and what's the that. one what's the one thing you always see deer feeding on if it's available? Oh geez. I'd so dependent on time of year really, but I mean up here it's up here it's the red maple seems like the red maple brows anytime a red really maple, anytime that's a red maple popping out of the ground they're feeding on that really that's like, that's, it's that's, like a year-round food source for them 
I'm glad I asked that because I bet I bet everyone would be like, "Oh, you just got to find the acorns, man. You got to go find where those white oaks are, and you got to find but those yeah, red I'm, maples, huh?" If we have acorns up north where I hunt, there isn't any, there really isn't any acorns at all. So. Oh yeah, it's just coniferous no. up there. Yeah, well, it's not coniferous, but it's you got your birch, your popple, your maple species, okay, hard, yeah. your hardwood, but you don't you don't get any oaks and stuff like that up. We get them where I around where I live. There's there's lots of oaks, but that's now, typically a, a our fall mo- and winter food source. Are, are moose targeting that too? Those red maples, or oh, def- definitely, yeah. Do you see yep. quite? Do you see quite a bit of overlap with uh, food preference? Yep. Definitely. Anytime you, anytime I get into an area up north and I start seeing moose, I'm, I'm switching on deer mode too because they're in. They're always intermixed in the same woods. Seems mm. like to me. That's uh, interesting. Good woods. Good woods. Just good woods around. Every, you start seeing moose. You start seeing birds. You start seeing deer. You get in mm-hmm. good, You get in mm-hmm. some woods and there's nothing, and you're like, okay, I'm not gonna see anything here, but. Once yeah. you start seeing, you start seeing other game. You know your every everything just tends to be in those same good woods. You know. Yeah. So, do you yeah. do any bear hunting in Maine? Are you allowed to, or is it not? Yeah. Yeah, we're allowed to bear hunt. I've never, I haven't really gotten into much bear hunting. I've been on a quest. I haven't had time to do it, but I've been on a quest. It's not really common around here, but I really want to get a bear by, uh, I mean, you'd call it spot and stock out West, but in mm-hmm. Maine, we'd call it, we'd call it still hunting because you can't really spot anything because the woods are so, <laughs> yeah. woods are yeah, so, thick, yeah, so thick out here. But yeah, we hunt, you can hunt them by baiting. You can hunt them by hounds. You can trap them. Um, but, oh, you yeah, can still I, trap bears. In, yeah, we can trap man. bear. Is that the last place you can do that? I, I wouldn't think so, but. I'm not, Man, I couldn't tell that's you. That's crazy. So have you done yep. that? Have you put out like some of those giant bear traps? No, no, I've never trapped bear. I know some people that do. And I know some people have trapped bear, but no, I've never, never trapped bear. I've never hunt. I only, the only, I've never even killed a bear. The only, I've tried by still hunting a, a few times. Like I said, I really want to put the mm-hmm. time in and do it. It's doable. It's really hard because the woods are so thick. Yeah. And at the, t- the time of year you do, you're doing it. It's a little tough, but. I yeah. think if mm-hmm. I put if I put the time in, I think I can make it happen. But sure, is that what just, when guys trap them? Or is that what they're using? Are they still using those giant, you know, foothold? No clam no, they're using, looking. They're using snares, foot snares. Okay. Yeah. Are those yep. are those big uh, uh, foothold traps? Are those those things yeah, outlawed? Yeah, you can't use those. Yeah, I was just thinking, man, that would be a bad day to accidentally step into one of those. Oh, <laughs> there, no, goes you, your, oh. there goes your whole leg. Forget about the oh, ACL man. and Achilles. Yeah, <laughs> no. They use snares, and they have a little stopper on them, too, that like if a small bear will step, or a younger bear will get caught in, the, it, won't pull mm-hmm. up tight enough, it won't pull up tight enough to actually hold them, and they'll pull okay. their legs right out so they can target the larger bears. Okay. Smart. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really but, interesting. Yeah, typically they'll set up a bait site, and that's where they'll set right. up their trap traps is right at the bait site. Uh, you can start baiting. It's the beginning of, uh, uh, let me think here, end of July, you can start baiting. And they put the baits out, and then they have like four weeks with the baits out. And then the end of August, first week of September, that's when the baiting season actually starts, where you can start hunting over those baits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that runs for like a month. And then hound hunting kicks in sometime in the middle. 
September towards October. I'm not fully aware of all the dates just because I don't hunt bear that much. But uh, then it sure. runs all the way to the end of November. General, you can hunt. Typically, they're in their dens by November. But if you see a bear yeah. while you're out, out deer hunting or something like that, you can still harvest them. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's, that's really cool. Um, uh, did maybe you said this already and I missed it. Um, can non-residents hunt bears in Maine? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think most actually probably if you looked at our harvest, probably most of our bear harvests are actually from non-residents. Wow, that's interesting. I, I had to guess. Just that, the outfitters. Is, it's big. It's, it's just a lot of the outfitters up here run large-scale baiting operations, hmm. and they get a lot of out-of-state clientele. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the the you know the deals that go on in Canada. You know, that's that's a big business up there, and in, in uh, yeah. a couple of Canadian provinces. Um, it's it's almost crazy how they don't run out of bears, but they definitely don't. They have tons of them. No, but we man, have a, we, they yeah, we have a lot of bears, and yeah, there's a ton of bears in Maine too. I get them on my deer cameras constantly. Yeah, you almost have to you almost have to worry about your cameras getting torn off the trees. I had one. La- <laughs> I had one last. I had one last year. The bear came up and grabbed right all of it with his mouth and put tooth holes in each side, but it it still yeah. works. Wow, that, that's a good review right there for that camera. Yeah. Yeah, Browning. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. I hear a lot of good things about them. Yep, they do work. Yeah, well, that's that's really cool. Um, uh, then you know, of course, the other thing that we got to talk about tonight, and this is where we're gonna kind of spend the rest of our time. Moose, you've been hunting moose for a while now, too, right? Yeah, I started. Oh, oh geez, as soon as I could put in for the lottery in Maine, we have a a lottery system. You mm-hmm. have to apply for in the lottery and then you get drawn i think they give out around fourth it, it varies year to year but i think lately it's been around four thousand oh every wow year. that's so way about, more than i thought yeah it's, about, it's it's the most in uh well i don't know if it's it may be the most in the southern portion of north america i'm not sure but uh yeah 90 percent of those go to residents main residents and then the remaining 10 percent go to the non-residents and lodges but so yeah i've been putting in every year i could i got drawn when i was let's see 13 years old so only three years into it i got a tag and uh yeah went up and uh we got a i think mike you can in maine you you can uh, have a subcommittee and a the the, whoever draws you can pick a subcommittee and that subcommittee can also shoot the moose okay my, Mm -hmm. my father was the subcommittee that year and he actually ended up shooting that moose because I couldn't get a clear shot, and he was ready to go home. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, fair, yeah, he was paying for it, so I can't. Not much I could say. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I got drawn again though when I was 18 years old, and we went back up, and uh, that time we got a really nice moose. I shot that one. That was a 54 inch, 900 pound. Whoa! Yeah, wow. that was a good one. Oh, congrats! That's great. A, yeah, there's a picture of it on my Instagram page. It's pretty nice. back that's in a, my younger days, but <laughs> that's incredible, man. Yeah. So, so have you uh, done any other moose hunting since then with oh, others? Yep. Yeah, my brother got a tag somewhere in between there, and uh, we weren't successful on that. He ended up coming down with pneumonia. Talk oh, about man. bad luck, and yeah, yeah, we had to leave on that hunt. And then my father got picked. 
like the mid 2000s on a cow and we went up and he got a cow that year and then again in 2012 he was the subcommittee of a good friend of ours a bull tag up in zone one and we shot a i can't remember what size it was but it was a it was a nice moose and then uh yeah and this year i finally got drawn again 19 years later from my last all right yeah we're going again this year that's nice. awesome, man. So, yeah, I'm oh, pretty, that's great. That's going to be coming up pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah, the it's the second season, so it's the October. October 9th is the first day we can hunt, and it's a six-day six hunt. That's what they give you. Okay. So it'll be that week from the 9th to, like, the 15th. What? Any so, idea what the success rate is for yeah, guys that it's, draw tags? Uh, yeah, it's, it used to be really high it used to be like in the 80s to push push in 90 percent wow but yeah we had in my opinion that they didn't give out enough they never have given out enough tags we've had a main moose population that was just really good and then the last oh 10 15 years i don't know if you've heard about the winter tick issue we've yeah, been having up terrible. here yeah yeah. Terrible. yeah that's kind of been lower in there i mean we still have a really good population of moose but just not like they once were yeah. and uh and they've been getting it seems like they've been getting a lot harder to hunt too used to be guys would just drive the roads there's so many roads up here on these logging roads and mm -hmm. they'd pick them off from the truck and but it's been getting harder and harder and harder especially if you want a certain class of moose sure mm -hmm. so yeah i could see the that. hunt the hunt's been changing a lot over the last few years so i think it's really i think the, even the last few years cert, it depends on which zone you get but certain zones have been like 60 in the 60 to 70 percent success rate range wow that's great so that's it's still pretty great, high man. yeah yeah it's yeah. not like it's yeah. not like an elk hunt you know or where it's yeah, super low yeah, yeah 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 but they don't in my opinion they just don't give out enough tags but it's one of those things <clears throat> yeah yeah you almost wonder if if uh the tick load would go down if um there were mm -hmm. less yeah less moose population density you know like they just wouldn't have such a prevalent food source for all the ticks but you know that's another thing that i i often think of with hunting in maine is the tick threat um you have you ever picked up any tick-borne illness in all your years of going through the maine woods yeah i've had lyme a couple times wow yeah i've been treated for i don't know I've had Lyme, been treated for Lyme quite numerous times. Like, yeah, I can't tell you how many times, but yeah. The old yeah. antibiotic regimen. Yeah, when you're in the woods, you're gonna, you're almost guaranteed to get bit. It's like, I'm super conscious about it now just because I've dealt with it mm -hmm. in my life so many times. That I really try yeah. to be, try to be vigilant, but even being, even as vigilant as I am, I still get bit. Yeah. A few times, a few times every year, a handful of times, you know, then you yeah. just have to you just have to watch it and watch your health for the next few weeks and hope you don't come down with something and mm -hmm. yeah but it's funny yeah, it's, in there I get it <laughs> yeah it's funny though because I know certain people that get it all the time like they constantly have ticks on them and they never come down with anything and then it's you hear about these horror stories where other people they get severely sick and yeah mm -hmm. it's it you never know I think a lot of it has to do with just certain people's immune systems. 
totally work better and how healthy you are i don't know i try to be as healthy as i can to avoid all that now (laughs) yeah well that's good yeah yeah Yeah, it is uh it's a very real threat that all of us hunters need to uh take seriously and and try to prepare for it but like you said the best way to prepare for it isn't you know deeting yourself down it's getting yourself in the best health you can be before you're going to be around him so man yeah Glad to hear that you're doing well now, though, and excited to hear about your moose hunt coming up. What's the yeah. kind of place you kind of described this already for us earlier? Um, what's the kind of place that you dream about, habitat wise, or the kind of place that when you like walk into it, like all your senses go on alert because you're like, okay, I'm in it now. Like this is this is a moosey spot, you know. It's, it's kind of like when you're. Uh, fishing for bass and you just like you know you're going like top water and you're taking that little frog right on the edge of a lily pad you just got that perfect cast you know like, oh, that's a fishy spot right there what's the describe a moosey spot to us like this is where this is where i want to be hunting because i got a great chance at, at tagging out okay yeah all right well i'm picturing like uh oh i'm picturing a big softwood bottom thick with the softwood and swamp alders at the bottom mm. and it's going to roll it's going to roll up to a ridge and that ridge is going to have be like select selected cut probably like four or five years ago and it's going to okay. have a lot of that it's going to have a lot of regen coming up in it it's it's not going to be wide open it, you're going to be able to see mm-hmm. through it a li- you're going to be able to see through it a little bit but it's going to have a lot of regen coming for the feed and then you're going to have softwood with some matured with some mature hardwoods mixed in amongst that too. Yeah. So you're going to have, and then maybe some like some feeder streams coming down through that, going into the lowlands. So you're going to have water moving everywhere. That's kind of what I'm picturing. Okay. So yeah, do, that's you, a, yeah. do you, do you see them a lot more on the ridges or you see them a lot more in the, uh, in the water or the marshes? It kind of depends on the time of year. I think earlier in the season, you're going to try and defend them, find them near the water more. Whereas as the seasons progress and that uh, that more they're going to move up more towards the the hardwoods and the feed as it gets colder, mm. the leaves start dropping. But when it's really hot and warm, they're going to be down in those low swamps and eating that aquatic vegetation. Once fall hits and that aquatic vegetation kind of starts to die off, they'll kind of they'll move it. into they'll move up more into the onto the ridges and into the the you know the clear cuts and stuff like that. But you can yeah. find them anywhere. They'll you can find them anywhere from in the middle of a swamp down the bottom to 4,000 feet high. They'll go way up to the tops of mountains. Mm. They're, they're funny beasts. You never really know where they're going to be. It's especially the big bulls Them big bulls. Will, oftentimes they'll go way up on the top of the mountain just to be all by themselves and mm-hmm. where, they, where they don't get bothered too much. Cause especially you have to have a lot of uh, gumption to want to pack a moose off the top of the, big mountain you know <laughs> oh yeah <That's> truth. <laughs> yes yes so but that is very definitely. true yeah so so that's the kind of place you're looking for um you talked about how whitetail often use the same kind of place would you hunt that same spot for for deer or what you just described there was such a moosey spot that yeah deer aren't going to be in there that's just strictly a moose zone 
No, no, it's definitely a spot I'd hunt deer too. Uh, okay, so so if someone thinks like, yeah, this sounds like the place that Jameson described, but I'm seeing whitetails everywhere, or whitetail sign everywhere, it's like, well, just you hang on because there's probably a moose in here too. Yeah, I mean, it's almost it's almost always that when I get in areas where there's good moose sign, there's good there's deer there too. I mean, I can think of a time, I can think of a time when I was deer hunting a couple years ago. I came down through this coming down off this ridge and that's coming down through this cut and uh i looked up and there was a small bull moose so i was kind of looking at him and he was just kind of feeding along and he started w- walking up towards me to investigate kind of like what moose sometimes will do because they don't have the best vision so if they can't smell you they don't really know what you are so if you don't mm-hmm. really if you don't make any noise and don't bother they'll kind of come investigate you a little bit that's, so, that's uh, pretty cool yeah he was walking right at me and i'm watching this moose and I was like, oh, that's cool. So after messing with him for a few minutes, I kept going on my path and wasn't 50 more yards. I looked down through the woods and I'm like, man, that looks like looks like a deer right there. 50 yards beyond that moose, there was a deer bedded. And I could see it bed. I caught it bedded and I pulled out my binoculars and I'm glassing it over trying to see if it's a buck. And uh, couldn't, couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And all of a sudden, it must have got a whiff of me. It jumped up out of that bed and took off like a rocket. And I, oh, man. <laughs> I still don't know what it was, but I think there was multiple, multiple deer there, too. But wow. Yeah. It seems like it, it's always when you get in the moose, it's, they're right on top of each other. Yeah. That's good to know because I would have figured they were in different spots. So I'm glad, I'm glad we nope. got some clarification there. That's good. Okay. No, I, so I, I, did yeah, Brad Oh, you guys go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I've seen the same uh, out west. Every time that I'm hunting deer in uh, certain areas in Colorado, I'm always running into moose. Hmm. It's like symbiotic. Yep. But not not necessarily elk. There's definitely a difference. I've, I've found the elk to be a little bit higher, but the deer and the moose tend to, you know, they just stick around. I, I didn't I didn't think about that in Maine, though. So it's kind of interesting for you to say that in a completely different different yeah. space. It's It's got to be food related in some regard. Yeah, yep. that's a good point. Did, uh, did Brad ever tell you in any of your, his podcasts about how bucks, when you're tracking a buck, um, bucks will use moose as like a early detection system? No, he's never said that. That's that's no. interesting. I've never seen it myself, but I've heard it from so many guys like Hal Blood and guys like that. That's that, interesting. Uh, when, you're, when you're tracking a buck, a buck will go right through a group of moose. You know, like a moose will be out feeding in a little cut or mm-hmm. something. And a nice buck, he'll go right through those moose. And where he can see, saw the moose, obviously. Yeah. He'll go just beyond those moose a little bit and he'll lay down and he'll watch back at those moose. So he'll keep an eye on those moose. And if those moose spook or anything like that, he knows that there's something there and then he'll take off before. So he kind of, they kind of use, they kind of use the moose. That's cool. Detection system. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. They are smart. Yeah. 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 That's, that's very interesting. Okay. So we know the kind of area that we're looking for to find moose but when it comes to hunting moose you know like what's the what's the tree stand method of hunting moose so to speak you know like everyone everyone here in the midwest is like oh you want to hunt deer you got to get a tree stand or or, you know you can get a box blind you can get a you know you can do a deer drive you know you got like these three options that everyone does and and uh uh you know what what is like the prescribed method for hunting moose is it getting out and tracking is it calling is it 
you know, just reading fresh sign and pairing that with tracking, what, what's the prescribed method people use? All right. So the method I would use, I mean, there's lots well, of different well, methods. Well, we'll, we'll get, we'll get to what you're going to use here in a second. Okay. But I just want to say like, what's the textbook, like, you know, the, the traditional way of hunting moose in, in Maine, what's that look like? Okay. Well, a lot of guys used to do, like I was saying earlier, a lot of guys used to would just, they'd ride all the roads in their pickup trucks. And actually a lot of people would, would make these crazy contraptions. They'd build these towers in the beds of their trucks. So they'd be mm. up, they'd be up 10, 12, 15 feet high in these towers. Oh, they'd build like box blinds right in the beds <laughs> of their pickups. <laughs> so they climb up in these box blinds and they drive all these roads. Cause you, because you get these big ditches sometimes on these roads. So if you got up high, you could see over these ditches and you could look out into these clear cuts. And oh stuff. my goodness. Dude, that sounds like something guys. straight out of Mad Max. Oh yeah, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, if some of the stuff you'd see. Yeah. And then they'd have thousands, thousands of feet of rope like on the bumpers, so they could winch them out when they when they got one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That but, is the uh, most redneck thing I've ever heard. Oh, that is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you get a dog. Thousands of, <laughs> thousands oh, of yeah. feet of rope. Oh, my goodness. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's how a lot of guys used, used to do it. There's still guys that do it that way, too. I wow. mean, there's some guys, yeah, they'll just ride and ride all day. They'll start at dawn. They'll ride all day long. They'll get up and they'll do it the next. They'll do it for six days straight until they find a moose. And sometimes it works. Wow, that is sometimes it doesn't. It's a lot is, less. It doesn't happen as much as it used to, but uh, it still happens. But no, what changed of, though? Uh, the moose population's definitely gone down from what it was, mm. and a lot of people feel like our hunt just because the hunt reopened in 1984. Okay, that was a because we had a moose, well, they were kind of like commercially hunted in the early 1900s for a long time. Yeah. And it was really just an open season on them. So they closed the season sometime in the early night or mid 1900s. And then there was no moose season up until it was completely closed up until I think it was 1984. They reopened it. And for, you know, for those first few years, those moose weren't used to being hunted. Yeah. And then, and then in the, in that same period of time, the 80s and the 90s in Maine is when, this commercial timber harvesting really took off with all this new logging technology and they were making, you know, tons of clear cuts and doing lots of cutting in Maine. And that just makes prime moose habitats. So we had an explosion of moose combined with the moose hunt. And so they were fairly easy to hunt for a few years there. And, but now they've been hunted for 40 years and there's less of them. And a lot of people think they've just adapted to that way of hunting and they're getting, they're getting harder to hunt. So, mm -hmm. But yeah. Got it. Yeah. Man, that is, I'm so glad you described that. That is so <laughs> wild. I just can't imagine how they don't get like tree branches sweeping them off their, their tower, you know, in the back of the truck. Yeah. Well, you'd uh, have to, you'd have to come up and see some of these. They're like super highways. Like you, you can fit two giant logging trucks side by side down some of these roads, you know. Okay. So there's they're huge logging. Nice wide I mean, open. they're not all like, they're not all like that. There's a lot of two tracks, but yeah. If you can, there's a lot of really nice roads too. They're just Man, dirt, but that is just like a post-apocalyptic scene. Just thinking of uh, yeah. like the, those towers and everything. But the part <laughs> that really gets me is the thousands of feet of rope. I ain't quartering that thing out. <laughs> no. <I'm just> gonna... 
no, this guy, no, yeah, they go there. Yeah, they drag them in chain. They'd use chainsaw winches, capstan winches too, stuff like that. Go tree to tree to tree, pulling the moose out for <laughs> a long ways. Yeah, <laughs> bordering, bordering in Maine is like they've only been doing that. Well, I'm sure there was a few people doing that, but it's only become mainstream in like the last 10 years, I bet. Yeah, wow. it's because of and Western that, hunting, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure, nobody used to quarter their moose. I mean, I didn't even hear my first moose on. I didn't even know you could do that. I don't think. Yeah, but <laughs> that's yeah. that is that's so. Well, I guess you know, work work smarter, not harder. You know, but yeah, yeah. now it's like the everybody, most everybody, all the outfitters and stuff, they're all pushing quartering now, and a lot of yeah. a lot of the do-it-yourselfers are doing it now too. So. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. it's become a it's the way to go. It's way more efficient and it gets the meat cool so much quicker. And, yeah, yeah. Well, and you, you you truly are earning it, earning it. You know, like you're yeah. putting all that effort into it. It's just I think that's cool. Yeah. And you so, can hunt any you can hunt anywhere. You're not limited to where you can hunt. Whereas if you don't quarter, I mean, there's only so far you can drag a moose. You know, yeah. thousands <laughs> of feet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Yep. That's that was, that. That, that was an awesome story. <laughs> so, so uh, now you're going to contrast that for us with what's your your wild card method that goes against, like you know what what do you do to go get a to go get a moose either for yourself or somebody that you're hunting with or or mm-hmm. a guiding for what's what's like? Can you just take us through a day of of moose hunting? yeah yeah so uh like even even give us the time you know the time of the day that you're doing stuff all right yeah so to start my day i'm hopefully i'm gonna have a pre-scouted area you know where there's a i found at least some good bowl activity and uh depending on we move we uh when we're moose hunting we're hunting these moose it's during their rut so first thing try is uh i have the october season which is kind of at the tail end of the rut but mm-hmm. we're still gonna we're still gonna try some calling so what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of get down in an area and where the, hopefully there's a good sign or first thing in the morning we're probably gonna just listen we're gonna get into a good spot with some sign off so, the road we're gonna be back so when you say road. when you say first thing in the morning are you talking like daylight you know, so you're not doing like the half hour before sunrise type thing you're you're waiting till you know maybe like well, I'm seven, gonna, seven eight o'clock yeah, before as soon as I can see to shoot, it's when I'm. I'm not gonna go in. You can hunt in Maine half hour before sunrise, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I'm not gonna start calling or anything like that until I can see to shoot. Because you don't want to call, even if it's legal light. If you're down in a place where the sun's not hitting very well, you're not gonna sure, want to call yeah. in a moose when you can't see good. Yeah, I didn't really think of that. Like your timber is probably pretty dark in the in the morning. Yeah, because places so thick. places it can be for sure. So I'm gonna wait till it gets light enough to to see actually see the moose, be able to judge how big it is, and then uh, yeah, I'm gonna get back into a spot where I'm off the road. No one, hopefully that way, no one's gonna mess up my calling, or I'm not gonna call in a moose for somebody else. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm gonna get back in a spot where there's some good sign, and then I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna listen. Probably just gonna hang out for a few minutes and just listen, if, see if we can hear any cows bellowing or if we can hear any moose grunting. And then if it's quiet, you know, a nice quiet morning, we're going to throw out some, maybe some cow, some cow calls and some, some grunts. And we might, we take a paddle, uh, a moose shoulder blade with us. Oh, and we're just okay. going to, maybe we'll rake some trees and see if we get any, well, we'll hang out in there for a while. And if we see if, listen, 
you're gonna listen for the moose grunt. It's really low sound. It's hard to hear. Yeah, especially if you don't have good ears. Can, but. can you imitate a few calls for us? I'm definitely putting you. On I the can spot try. <laughs> can you do, can you do yeah. the the cow bellow and then do the? I can do it. I, can, I haven't done it in a little bit. I should be practicing, but I can try to do it for you. All right, let's see. Okay. <laughs> How's that? That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that's good, that's man. Good. So, so what's yeah. the what's the grunt response gonna sound like from the bull? Oh, the grunt's gonna the grunt's a little bit harder. It takes like I like to have a little megaphone, but I'll try it anyway. It's like a, ooh, 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 just a really deep. Oh yeah, that a, is so ooh. different from deer. Ooh. Yeah, it's way different than a deer. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's that. Like a, not like that growly sound. That like a no. like almost like a burp. You know that that no. uh, yeah. buck grunt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, do do the do the bowl one again. Like how how is that? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Just like oh, if you can hear man, it. It's such a is, low tone. Yeah, that is that is totally different. That's cool. So do you use one of those amplifiers when you're doing the call? Uh, when I'm doing the cow, I typically don't. But for the grunt, I like I have just like a it's just basically like a plastic funnel. Yeah, I've taken I've taken a bunch of uh, oh like hockey tape and it's camel kind of like hockey tape. I don't know what you'd call it, but I wrap that all around Same it. Kind of yeah. And then I, yeah, I use that for the grunt. It just makes it sound a little bit deeper and mm. helps it travel. But yeah. yeah. So when you do that, do you have to do like a, do you have to do that sequence of a cow bellow, you know, and then within the next 60 seconds or something, you got to follow it with a grunt. Otherwise it doesn't sound like a norm, uh, a normal scenario to the moose or could, could there just be a cow that's bellowing with no bull in sight? Oh, definitely. Yeah. You could definitely have a lone cow that's just looking for a mate, but okay, that bull, that bull too might trigger, you know, and if he's been beat up, you don't know though. It might scare him off too. But that if there's another, if you make that bull grunt after a cow bellow, it could, you know, might trigger the response like, oh, I got to get over. Especially if it's a big mature bull, I got to get over yeah. there before this other bull gets this cow. So, yeah. But another, yeah, another technique might use. Say we heard, say we heard a cow bellow, and we could hear a bull grunting with it. We might kind of like. You're probably gonna not going to be able to pull that bull off a cow, so we might kind of just ease our way in there with our take our moose shoulder blade and kind of just rake some brush as we're walking towards mm -hmm. the moose and mm -hmm. do some grunt, do some grunts on our way in, and hopefully that'll trigger that bull to you know defend that cow. Yeah. So that that can be a technique you could use too. Yeah, that's that's cool. Here, you know, hearing what those calls sound like and the significance behind what they mean and you know, what, what you can hope for in a response. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So you're doing uh, your yeah. calling, you're trying to, trying to locate, um, something. Are you going to just keep doing that until you get some kind of vocal response from, from an animal? Or are you going to be like, all right, I've been at this for, you know, 90 minutes now. It's time to, time to stop worrying about, calling we need to go find some sign or some tracks and we need to start we need to just start gridding for yeah i mean if i'm not getting a response i'm gonna try that in this you know location if i think it feels good and then i might hang out there for a half hour 40 45 minutes and if nothing happens i'm gonna move move a good ways and try it again if if the sign calls for it and maybe 
perhaps we get into we're too far into the rut and maybe after a week because we're gonna be on the second week of the hunt so they've probably been called at and shot at for an entire week so mm-hmm. call calling may not be the recipe for my hunt it may be if we get into some bulls that haven't been called that to yet mm-hmm. so if say if they're not responding to calls then we're kind of kind of switch it up and we're going to kind of hunt them more like we would like a still hunt a deer sure we're just going to cover ground and you know try to try to run into them more more than calling to them because we may if calling to them may just be doing the opposite effect than what we want it to it may be just pushing them away yeah we'll kind of we'll have to we'll have to play it by year when we get there really it's how hot the rut's still going on or if it may be over yeah yeah no that that makes sense uh, definitely have to address or adjust to that pressure right. that exists during those different times of the season for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, when you are, you know, getting a response, you're obviously going to be walking towards the direction of that response and, and, uh, you know, that all that makes sense. What kinds of sign are you looking for when, uh, you know, you're trying to locate this animal or maybe identify what, how, you know, size of the animal that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to be look, you're looking for big tracks, of course, mm-hmm. and then, uh, raking, you're going to look for rakings in the trees. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, a lot of times if there's any holes in the area, they're going to have signs where they've been raking the trees with their antlers and they'll usually it's okay. on like on and stuff like that. And also rut pits. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking for rut pits where they lot like you know i don't know if he's probably seen elk have made rut pits where they're just tearing the ground up and peeing okay. in it you know getting it all over their legs and tearing up the ground almost like a giant scrape yeah it's like a giant basically like a giant scrape okay so yeah you're looking for all that and looking for and then if you're looking for areas where there's cows you're going to be looking for feed sign anywhere they've been browsing you'll notice all the tops of the trees are going to be nipped off all over so if there's tons of that and it looks fresh Mm. you're going to know there's cows in that area so if there's cows in that area there's probably going to be bulls coming in looking for those cows too what's what's their choice food source that you're looking for is it still again the yeah it's that hard maple yeah it's that hardwood browse the maples the popple the pop young popples and all that stuff and then in the winter, once it switches to winter time, they're going, they're still feeding on that, but then they're going to switch to that softwood browse too, like the young firs and spruce and that kind of stuff too. Okay. But. Yeah. Very, very good information, you know. And, uh, man, it's, it just sounds like so much fun. So, yeah. So, uh, you're getting into, uh, range. How, how close do you want to be with a rifle? And what's your like preferred distance for getting a shot? Oh, for me, I want to be sub 50. I mean, I want to be close. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I like to be really, I use, uh, I'm probably this, for this hunt, I'm probably going to use the same rifle I use for tracking, tracking okay. deer, which is, uh, which is the Marlin 1895, 4570 trap, trapper. Okay. With a peak nice. sight. Yeah. No, I, I mean, everybody's going to have a different opinion on guns and all that, but. Yeah, I like to get really close. I, lo- I want to be close. I'm like that bow hunter that wants to be really. I don't yeah. bow hunt, but I still want to be really close. No, I <laughs> get that for it makes, sure. It's better. It's a way better hunt experience, you know. Yeah. So, where's your where's your, uh, where's your point of aim? What are you aiming at? Like, what's your, where are you mo- picking a spot on the moose? Oh, on a moose, you're gonna want to lung. I like to. I'm gonna want to lung shoot them just like a deer. 
So you're going like maybe what? I'm going uh, five behind the shoulder, behind the shoulder, maybe. Yeah, they have, moose. Moose have a huge lung area. If you, their lung area is probably, geez, I don't know. It's way larger than a white tail. So mm-hmm. anywhere you get anywhere behind that shoulder, a lot of guys will tell you to go go twelve inches down from the hump, which is the spine shot, which will which will drop them in their tracks if you execute it. But I'd prefer. I'd rather go yeah. a little bit behind that. Shoot them right in the lung, yeah. mid body, right. Yeah. They'll run, they'll run 50, 100 yards and they'll drop. So, yep. And that's when the work begins, right? That's when the work starts. Yep. So, so, uh, is there any value other than for like a cape for a shoulder mount? Is there any value in like skinning out a moose? Like, is, is moose hide a valuable thing to have or no? Um, no. I mean, I'm sure there are people that would use it for something but typically yeah we're gonna just skin it out in the field and if we're not gonna use tape for a mount we're just gonna leave the, the skin right there okay but yeah and that's what we're gonna that's what we do so you're just, you're, just, you're just skinning it to basically get to the meat and yeah there you know one thing i'd encourage you to try so i i uh had a uh i shot a really big bodied buck uh, back in, uh, when was that Alex? 2020 maybe. And, uh, it was a half rack I shot. Do you remember that Alex? And, yep. uh, he didn't have much of a rack, uh, but his body was just enormous. He was just a big chunky buck. And I was like, man, I, this is an awesome hide. And I got it, uh, tanned and now I use it for, um, like cold season camping. Oh, I yeah. put it down on top of my, um, insulated sleeping pad and then my sleeping bag on top of that that is the way to go i bet a moose hide would be awesome for <laughs> awesome for would. that yeah probably would be pretty good they're big mm-hmm. enough you know yeah. you could just like wrap it like a bed sheet around your entire sleeping yeah. pad. <laughs> yeah maybe depending on how far we got to carry it out maybe we'll think about that <laughs> yeah yeah it's probably yeah. weighs a ton but no so you're going in then it's quartering and then uh what do you do do you get cut out the rib meat uh take yep. the heart take any other yep. do, you, do you take the tongue no i've never done the tongue i've heard beef tongue i never had beef tongue either but maybe it's oh, worth trying. delicious delicious yeah, delicious. yeah. beef tongue oh, is good i've only had great. beef tongue. i have a bison tongue in my freezer right now i had a there friend who's a, a bison farmer and or rancher herdsman i don't know what the right term is but but um i bought a bison tongue off of him um, but so, but heart, that's uh kind of a, that's, that's something people like to eat moose heart. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm a big, yeah. I'm a big fan of the heart. I love all the deer hearts I get and we'll definitely mm-hmm. be keeping the moose heart. I do have a buddy who's going to be coming on the hunt with me. He has a tradition that every, I don't know where he got it from, but every deer moose he harvests, he takes the heart and he buries it. I'm okay. not sure where it comes. Oh. No, I'm not sure where it comes. I won't. I don't think I'll be doing that. But yeah, that's what he does. That's a lot of good meat there. <laughs> I know it is. It's some oh, kind so of good. tradition. But yeah, good. No, it's good. It right where right where he kills it, he buries the heart. Oh. So uh, and other guys have a tradition of biting the heart, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, right. I've seen yeah. That too. yeah. <laughs> that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> not not for me. Not for me. <laughs> but yep. so you're uh, then you're just one guy per quarter basically when you're packing it out yeah we'll probably do yeah probably one quarter is all you're going to want I think typically a moose quarter is going to be a big moose is going to be in the range of 80 to 100 pounds per quarter Man. 
So yeah, probably that's all you're gonna want. So I think there's three of us gonna be going on this hunt. So I was probably gonna take us two trips. Yeah. Between the head, the four quarters, the head, and then all the random meat, you know. So yeah. it'll yeah. probably be two trips between the three of us in and out, you know. Oh, for yeah. sure. That's yep. that's that's incredible. That's a lot of work and a lot of good meat though at the end of it. And oh yeah. I bet that uh meat. Skull and uh, rack weighs a ton as well. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's got to, by the time you skin it, get the skin and high flesh off it, it's still probably got to weigh a big bowl. It's got to be pushing 50, 60 pounds, you know. That's crazy. That's got to be, it's got to be close. I know a, a big, I think a big moose antler, even dried out each side, is going to weigh 15, 16, 17 pounds each. Man. And that's, that's just the antler man so by yeah, the time that's... you get the skull and the brain and all that still inside mm-hmm. gonna be pretty heavy yeah yeah well, that's that's really interesting to hear that whole the whole process of breaking one down and and getting it out of the woods it's an important consideration you got to have a good plan for that um yeah and and maybe if you can use the thousands of feet of rope <laughs> you know that that might work but i gotta well, imagine like a, a kayak or a canoe could be really handy too um for for getting it out actually uh we interviewed joe shed i think it's episode number 20 on this podcast so way back one of our first episodes he tells of his alaskan moose hunt that Mm -hmm. he did and just the nightmare that it turned into because he was by himself to getting that meat out of the back country of alaska and uh back to uh his his vehicle it's just it's a it's a really really crazy story so if you've never listened to that go back like yeah. i said i think it's around episode 20 and it's just an incredible story uh that joe shared with us in fact i think um his trip became so brutal if i remember correctly he ended up leaving the rack can you imagine that really shooting oh my bull. word and wow. uh uh, but like, it just was, was an absolute nightmare getting all that meat out of there mm-hmm. by himself and like getting the boat swamped, getting the, or the canoe swamp, getting stuck, you know, hung up on rocks and rapids and things like that. And yeah, it, it, it's just, it was, it was That's a, a lot wild, of yeah. one guy. It's tremendous amount of work to get a moose out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, but, but, um, you know, I'm sure you guys have a good system down and and uh, bring buddies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bring buddies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So, yep. so uh, Jameson, if nothing's working, you're doing the calling. You're looking for sign. What do you do? What's what's like your one thing you're doing if nothing's working? Oh, if nothing's working, I'm gonna just beat the feet. <laughs> really. I'm going to be just just walking, really. I mean, there's not much else you can do. You can try new spots, go to a completely different spot. You Maybe you didn't even think of just pull out the map, pull out the stops, talk. Maybe you'll run into someone on the road, talk to people. Okay, yeah. Try to get, try to get some kind of tip. Maybe, there's a lot of bird hunters up there that time of year because bird season's open too. Maybe stop and talk to the bird hunters. Maybe they know. Maybe they just saw a big moose a mile down the road. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's good. So That's a really good tip. You might get a tip from someone. Maybe it's a logging truck going by, you know, you know, maybe 
holler on the CB. Hey, you seen any moose? <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you're getting desperate, you're gonna have to do whatever. But in my opinion, you're just gonna have to work. It's just all there is to it. You're gonna have to walk. You're gonna have to just keep going. No, can't quit. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Well, this yeah. has been a, a great conversation with Jameson. Um, I have one last question for you. Do you do any sure. moose shed hunting? I do a little bit. Yeah, I do a more deer shed yes! hunting. Yes. Yeah. Fellow shed head, Alex. <laughs> Just because it's cool. It's easier for me. <laughs> if I had moose closer to my house, I'd be moose in it. But well, I'd do both because I like I have a, I like deer are my number one. Sure. I yeah, deer is still my number one. I love moose, but I'm a deer fanatic when it comes down right down yeah. to it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, Ken. Uh, yeah. You're, you're, you're going to love hearing this. I got to the top of the mountain. I set up camp and there was a, um, there was a shed right by where I put my tent. Yes. That's <laughs> you're bringing it back, right? <laughs> I literally thought of you. I was like, Oh, if Kent saw this, he'd be losing her. <laughs> oh, you know, I would, <laughs> I hope you're bringing it home, man. I'll, I'll mail it to you. All right? yeah, they, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's awesome. I'm glad you found one. Um, I love it. But yeah, I love, I love, uh, I love shed hunting, Jameson. I, I, I honestly can't decide what I like more. You know, I guess it's just whatever season I'm in. If it's deer season or or shed season, I just love yeah. covering ground. You know, yeah. And uh, seeing seeing new country. I'm I'm a big person of I want to know what's over that hill. You know, I want the same way. I want to see what's over there, and and uh, you you just learn so much about the animal too when you're. When you're doing that, you're putting yourself where they go, you know, so much more intentionally than even with hunting, I'd say, because in hunting, you're looking more so for good vantage points and good spot to get a shot as a, as an observer of where that deer is, is going and is going to go. But when you're shed hunting, you're getting in the footprints of, of the animal to figure out, you know, what, what his habits are and, and that kind of thing, which you're really doing that as a buck tracker anyway. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much to Jameson and Alex for jumping sure. in on this one. Um, what's a good way for people to follow you, Jameson? Uh, yeah. So I have an Instagram. That's where all my, most all my hunting stuff goes. That's uh Jim Bob Grady on there. Okay. And then, uh, this, I, uh, this year I'm going to be filming all my hunts too. Awesome. So, uh, and they're going to be over on the Northeast Traditions YouTube page. That's the name of the YouTube All page. Right. And yeah, and that's my my buddy. He he runs that, and uh, he'll be he'll be he's going to be filming my moose hunt. He's going to be over my shoulder filming the whole thing. So we should have a really good film on the moose hunt. And uh, he's got one. He got drawn last year, and he has a really good film from last year of his moose oh, hunt. Very cool. So if anyone wants to check that out, it's uh, Northeast Traditions on YouTube. Very cool. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, so glad we were able to do this podcast. I feel like I made a new friend tonight uh, in sure. talking with Jameson. And there's a lot about you that reminds me of Brad, which that is yeah. one of the highest compliments I can give oh, someone. Because I, th I think the world of Brad. I think uh, if there were more people like Brad in the world, the world would be a lot better, safer, cooler place. For sure. <laughs> so, For sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's cool to see another guy out there who's doing a lot of the same stuff that Brad does and loves, loves it like Brad does. So that's, it's really cool. And, uh, thank you to you too, Alex. I hope the weather takes a break for you. Get this hurricane nonsense over with. 
out there on the west coast and get you back onto the hunt and uh hopefully your tent will still be there when you get back up to the top of the mountain and uh hopefully. more more importantly hopefully that shed will still be there when you get <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> but, <laughs> i think uh, i think the shed has a has a better shot than my tent does <laughs> yeah probably so probably so but uh yeah hopefully everything gets uh looking better there for you um and hopefully everything's going well for you as well listeners um really appreciate you guys and love hearing from you make sure if you haven't reached out yet you do so um alex loves hearing from you too and uh you can uh um uh, find our contact information for instagram go wild and i think even some facebook pages are listed as well in the show notes um but that's really the best part is hearing from you, the listeners, hearing how the podcast has uh, helped you maybe in a practical way while hunting or maybe think about things differently or give you some new creative ideas to try or uh, maybe uh, put together a dream hunt, which we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, um, also remember, this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is really a revolutionary, uh, newish company in the hunting industry. Um, they've been around for almost two years. Um, I think I first used Spartan Forge for the 2021 deer season and uh, used it again, of course, last year for the 22 season. And now I'm already using it as I prepare for the 23 season. And uh, Caleb and I are headed to Nebraska to hunt uh, hopefully mule deer. It's a tag that's good for both mule deer and whitetails um, in December. And uh, it's a muzzleloader tag. And we are using Spartan Forge like crazy as we map out these areas that we want to check out, places we want to knock on some doors, all of that to put together our best chance at having a uh, successful hunt. And uh, we're also talking to another guy quite a bit. I'm, I'm leaving him alone right now and uh, on purpose because I know he's out doing his thing out there in, uh, on his hunt. But uh, Alex is another great resource for us as we plan this hunt. Um, he's already given us some great advice. We're going to be renting a hot tent from him. So Alex, this is me officially saying reserve for me the hot tent and stove. Um, so all you ladies, you, all you other people that wanted it too, too bad. I, it's mine. I got it. But, uh, no, we use Alex for gear rental. We use him for advice. Um, just any help with planning the hunt. Um, he can give us ideas on where we can ask for some, some, uh, access on private land, or even maybe some good ideas for some, uh, public land. Alex does full service hunt plans and he really helps make your dreams come true. Um, the, uh, I would love, I wish you may, and maybe you have this stat, Alex, but I would love to, uh, you know, just look at how people's odds go up when they, uh, get your hunt planning service. Um, because I've seen it firsthand. Um, you know, when we went on that bear hunt in Montana, we talked to a lot of other hunters that were out there. And, um, I would say that, we were the only group where both both hunters got a shot um, uh, mm-hmm. out of, I mean, a lot of other people that were there. Uh, I think there was one other group that we came across where one guy got a bear, but they never got a second shot on another one, whereas both Rasty and I 
our first time bear hunting in Northwest Montana, in the rainforest people of Montana. <laughs> and, uh, we both had shots and we came home with a bear and, uh, that, was because of Alex and uh, his hunt plan. Uh, that was it was just phenomenal. So, go over to eastwesthunts.com. Tell them that you heard about uh, Alex's services on the First Gen Hunter podcast, and you'll save yourself ten percent. Um, you can use that with the promo code First Gen Ten, or just say, "Hey, I heard about you on First Gen Hunter. Um, I I, I want to know what's up with." what you have to offer, then Alex is going to say, okay, well, you don't have to give me any money yet. Let's set up a, let's set up a meet and greet online. Make sure this is something that is good for both parties. And then we'll go from there. So Alex is, is a a full service guy. He does it all above board and it's a very, very um, effective for helping you reach your goals in the woods. So again, East to West hunts, Dot com is where you can find that. And Alex is also a Spartan Forge user, by the way. Um, he, mm-hmm. You can see that on his YouTube channel. Um, again, just a, a phenomenal app. Once you uh, do your hunt plan, you've used uh, Spartan Forge to map out where you're going to do it, and uh, you've uh, got the animal down on the ground. Maybe it's a moose. Uh, maybe you uh, used the rope method, or maybe you uh, quartered it <laughs> out. Um, whatever it is, let's say if it's a big old big old bull you're going to want that thing taxidermied do it the right way go to old barn taxidermy tell them that you heard about old barn on the first gen hunter podcast and um, that helps me out and you will get the best mount that um, you could possibly get Uh, sam gaylord is the owner of old barn taxidermy he's got he's got recognition all around the country and i would probably even say the world because he hunts around the world and um He's been doing it, I believe, for almost 40 years. Um, so he knows his stuff, and it's it's world-class. Over 500 whitetails go through his shop a year, and uh, plus all kinds of turkeys, mountain lions, fish, ducks, geese. I mean, basically, you name it, bears, and, of course, elk and mule deer and moose. If you're going to go and uh, uh, do one of these hunts, get it done the right way. Don't get bad taxidermy. Your wife won't let you put it on the wall, and I wouldn't blame her. So, again, go to Old Barn Taxidermy. You can find the link for them in the show notes as well. Well, thank you again, gents, for uh, jumping on this one. Thank you to the listeners. Please leave a five-star review if you haven't. That helps other people hear about the podcast and hopefully helps us get you know set them on their way to a better hunting situation for themselves. But whatever you do, until next time, take care and take someone hunting.